This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. What a beautiful day here in Michigan. Larson has just been absolutely perfect here this afternoon. Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin looking for the green flag. It's in the air and the race is on. Right now, Kyle Larson did what he had to do on the restart and now is smooth sailing. Oh, dude, bring it home, baby. Kyle won here at Michigan last August, his first career cup win, and he wins again today. Had a boy. Heck yeah, buddy. Proud of you, man. Burn that to the ground. Oh, yeah, good job, guys. Good job. this for a Father's Day present. Kyle Larson and his son Owen putting the winning sticker on the car after a big win at Michigan. There is two on that car now as Kyle Larson with a thumbs up. Another win this season. Welcome into NASCAR America, everybody. Carol Amano and Parker Quiggerman with you. And we have a pair of crew chiefs today at Burton's Garage, Steve Letarte and Slugger Labby. Steve, let's start with you. What was your biggest takeaway from Michigan? Well, you know, Carolyn, in a year of surprises with the stages, surprise winners, a lot of excitement, a lot of change. Really, Michigan had very little of that, in my opinion. I think everyone that ran up front slugger, the cars that we expected to see up front, uh, the race played out relatively straightforward. One, maybe ill-timed debris caution. But other than that, the stages were straightforward, and the fastest cars ended up at the front. Absolutely, Stevie. Well, to me, what happened was the track never rubbered up. We had the ARCA race, we had the Xfinity race on Saturday, and we had the Cup race on Sunday. And basically, where, where Goodyear and NASCAR put the second groove, it never went no higher than that. And typically, we see that where cars migrate up to the wall, but it, it never came in on Sunday. And therefore, it was that lane-and-a-half groove and restarts. The top lane was the preferred groove. That was unfortunate, Slugger. But one thing that stuck out to me is something we've been seeing throughout the season. That is a titanic battle between the 78 team Martin Truex Jr. and the 42 team of Kyle Larson for that regular season winner in the points right now. They're far ahead of third place, and these two are locked together fighting to get those extra 15 playoff points. A huge story that's been developing that we haven't really spent a lot of time on, so we're going to hit that in a little bit. First, let's go back and look at Sunday's race. Kyle Larson starting on the pole, but check this out, a thief during the invocation. His son Owen that you just saw stealing his dad's sunglasses. <laughs> Not much you can do at that moment, that particular moment. Uh, he was starting alongside Martin Truex Jr. on the front row, Parker. Here's stage one, Truex eventually passing Larson for the lead and winning. Yes, the two we just mentioned that are fighting for the regular season points lead, also fighting on the racetrack, and the 78 would prove to have a very good car on the long run. He would catch the 42 and pass him and win another stage. So impressive what they've done to us. His ninth stage win of the season right there, to your point. And Steve Truex passes Larson again for the lead here. Hey, why not pick up another stage win? <laughs> Yeah, stage two, mirror image of stage one. Larson has the better short-run car. The 78 stays patient at a track. As Slugger mentioned earlier, that's very one groove. Let his car come in. Let the handling come in. And over time, the speed showed up. He ran the 42 down, got another stage win. Late restart, Slugger would keep him from getting the race win, though. Uh, here's a restart with 10 to go. Walk us through what's happening here. Basically, the top lane is the preferred groove, like we talked about earlier. He got a great job up through the gears, and he just used the momentum. And, and uh, by the time they got turned two, he was gone. And then you notice that 21 car there, Slugger, that got very loose on that bottom lane. He wasn't able to hold on to it. And then you ended up with about three cars trying to get in a two-car position. Danica gets the brunt of this where she's on the bottom, just an innocent bystander who gets hit and forced to the inside with another hard hit there when Bubba Wallace gets into the 19 of Dale Suarez. But really, this precipitated because it was just a bunch of cars trying to get into a very tight position, and they all started to bounce off each other. But a product of that bottom line not working. And five laps to go on the restart. Steve Larson proving too strong for Denny Hamlin on the outside. Yeah, not only had the preferred lane, but had the better race car. Restarts, restarts, restarts. It doesn't matter how long these races are, 300 miles, 400 miles, 500 miles. You must be good at restarts to capitalize and get the victory lane. And that's what I think we're seeing out of Kyle Larson. He got beat by Jimmy Johnson at Dover, but not today at Michigan. Up through the gears, didn't spin the rear tires successfully in a turn one. It all sails ahead from there. 
And he picked an interesting place to do his burnouts, right in Victory Lane. That's what Lightning McQueen would do, and that's Kyle <laughs> Lightning McQueen Larson right yeah. there for Cars 3. Exactly. A big Owen approves right there. Yes, two thumbs up from Owen and his dad on Father's Day. Such a nice moment. So Larson becomes the fourth driver with multiple Cup Series victories this season. Dale Jr. finishes in ninth. That's only his third top ten finish this season. Martin Truex Jr. finishes sixth after a pair of those stage wins. He continues to build a sizable advantage for the playoffs. More on that, like we said, coming up in just a little later. But among the notable results, the two Michigan natives in the field, the rookie Eric Jones finishing in 13th, and Brad Kozlowski fought through handling problems. He finished in 16th. Pocono winner Ryan Blaney ending up 25th after his involvement in that late restart crash. But the class of the field on Father's Day, Kyle Larson, here's what he and his dad said after the race. I thought I was about a third to fifth place car, and then we were able to just kind of line up in the right you know, lanes there towards the end and uh, get all the way to second um, and then get a good push on the bottom lane by Ryan Blaney to, to shove us out to lead and kind of control the, the restarts from there. So, um, you know, can't, can't thank Ryan enough for the push uh, as well as, you know, my, my whole team for all their hard work throughout the season and at the race shop. Just having great pushers behind me, you know, those guys were able to time it right and give me the give me the shoves I needed. Um, you know, then when I was the leader, it seemed like they would kind of get out, the inside lane would kind of get out in front of me, but I could side draft them and, and pitch them down on entry a little bit and, and mess uh, their entry speed and, and I could carry my momentum around. So, um, wasn't too nervous on those final restarts, but, you know, I've lost a lot of races, so I've been trying to work at my uh, work at my game on that. Well, it's fast, and, and our race cars are just really good every time we come here, so uh, that's the biggest key for any racetrack. You know, you got to have fast race cars, so um, Chad Johnston and, and every, you know, all the hundreds of people that work at Chip Ganassi Racing do such an amazing job, especially uh, this season. It's been a lot of fun, and, and hopefully we can just keep it going. My parents, they don't get to come to a ton of races. You know, they still live in California, but... Uh, you know, Ohio Sprint Speed Week is, uh, or All-Stars, whatever. It's in Ohio. It's, you know, only, I was supposed to race her tonight, uh, but um, I think they canceled. But, um, so they drove here, and, you know, cool to get to spend uh, victory lane with them, as well as Owen, you know, with our car looking like Lightning McQueen's. He was really excited about that. I took him to the race shop a couple weeks ago, and he was, he was in awe of it. He was like, Lightning, Lightning, like going crazy. So, um, fun, fun every day to have Owen with me, but especially when we win, it's, it's a good time. I said to my wife and, and our friend that was sitting next to us, I, I said, you know what? Kyle started on the bottom last year on that last restart when he won. And I thought, you know what? I bet he could do this again. And sure enough, he did it. And, uh, you know, here we are. You know, there was a lot of sacrifices to get to this point. Um, you know, I pretty much told him early on that go-karts is as far as I'm going to be able to get you. And talent's going to have to get you the rest of the way. And, I mean, from the eight or nine years old he used to always say i'm gonna make it to nascar and i'd be like oh that poor kid you know he just doesn't know what he's up against and you know for it to end up like this and he, you know all of his dreams and, and everything he ever said that he was gonna do to have him do it because you know generally i mean he wasn't the most super confident kid as you know at school or or just playing with all of his buddies but when it came to racing i mean he was like a dr jekyll and mr hyde i mean when it came time to like buckle in or put his helmet and gear on um he became somebody else and uh and that's why it's so neat to look back at those times when he would tell me that i'm going to make it you know and i and i just like oh boy that poor kid <laughs> and you know for it to be like this this is you know a dream really you know because you you just can't ever imagine that it, it really is going to happen i see so much owen and kyle because at the age owen is right now kyle was basically a clone of him the way he plays with his cars and you know I mean, he just he's got all the engine sounds and you know he knows all the names and, of the drivers and and all that so it, it's cool to just see it kind of happening again i don't know if owen will you know ever race or want to race but you know if he does i could definitely see you know the progression of you know how it's starting now and and how it'll probably you know go down the road um we'll see i guess that's all we can do
Great insight there from Larson's father, Mike, on the early days when Larson began dreaming about the success that he has now. And here's something else to consider. He reclaimed the Cup Series points lead for Martin Truex Jr. They have more than two races worth of points on third place Kyle Busch. So it appears that Larson and Truex will duke it out over the summer for the regular season title and the 15 playoff points that go with it. So 15 races down and 11 to go in this year's regular season, which includes a return to Michigan on August 13th. Here is how things stand. If the regular season ended today, it's a lot to look at, but try to take it in. Matt Kenseth currently occupies the final playoff spot, and you've got Clint Boyer, who is seven points out. Things constantly changing, of course, with that scenario. But Slugger, when you think about Kyle Larson and what he has accomplished now with two wins on the year, what is really different about the skill set that is required to win at Michigan versus what it takes to win at Fontana? Well, they're both two-mile tracks, but they're completely different to me. At Michigan, the track is really bumpy down the backstretch. You've got to run up by the wall. You've got multiple grooves. At Michigan, Stevie, it was just basically a groove and a half. It never opened up. The track is really, really smooth, repaved about seven years ago. Hasn't really got its own character yet, but completely different tracks for sure. Uh, the backstretch has probably got the worst bumps we see on the circuit getting into turn three, and the cars get extremely loose. Completely different than Michigan. Yeah, I mean, Fontana, I think that the driver actually has the opportunity to make a little bit of lap time because his tire grip goes away. They can search and find some grip, much like a dirt track, really, which is what Kyle Larson's known for. But at Michigan, I think you are dependent on your race car. If you don't have speed in the race car, you can't force it. You're kind of at will. As much front grip you have is as hard as you can drive into the corner. But the difference is... At Michigan, or I should say the, the, the similarities between the two are the restarts. And the simple fact is it's a high-speed track. And while Kyle deflects, oh, we got lucky, we got in the right lane, I'm not really sure that's the case because he's not in the preferred lane on this restart. The 21 did give him a push, but he got a push because the 42 didn't drive off his bumper. Slow to the gas, let the 21 get to his bumper. There's an art to that. And now when he's on the top here, Slugger, he not only gets a good restart, but then right here, goes down to the door of the 24, stops the 24's momentum, drives in the corner to clear him. So, Carolyn, even though the 42 and Kyle Larson says a lot of things went his way, he made a lot of his own luck on those final few restarts at Michigan. Yeah, that's what really stood out to me, Parker, is that he just put on a clinic at the end there, regardless of where he was on the track. He did, and we're definitely going to get into that a little tighter later and kind of closer and kind of zoom in exactly what he did right. But it's really a product of him going and doing the homework of what has gone wrong for him in restarts before and then applying that and executing at the end of that race. You brought up something a long time ago now at this point in the season, which is about Ganassi's performance. And the big question mark was, you know, can they continue to have that momentum? Can they keep up? What does this win basically say about where they are at this point in the season? Well, and there's a reason for me bringing that up, is that this team finds itself constantly on an island. And what I mean by that is they don't have an affiliation to a larger organization. Yes, they use Hendrick Motorsports engines, but they are not sharing chassis and, and kind of co working together like the old relationship of Stuart Haas and Hendrick. These guys are still building their own race cars and working on their own equipment. Compare that to who he's going up against in the regular season points battle right now with Martin Truex Jr., who is a smaller team but using the affiliation with Joe Gibbs Racing and with Toyota. This team of Ganassi has been impressive because they've kept up the speed. They've kept up the rate of development throughout the season and going out there and winning this weekend just shows that as even as we get in the summer months, which can get tough for some of these race teams to keep up, especially a race team like Ganassi that doesn't quite have the breadth of resources of a Hendrick Motorsports or a Joe Gibbs Racing, but they're continuing to show speed. And it's not only for Kyle Larson. Look at the car that finished fifth this weekend. That's his teammate, Jay McMurray. His teammate, Jay McMurray, is seventh in points. They are doing it with both cars, and that's what's been impressive is they're consistently providing fast race cars, and that makes it possible for Kyle Larson to go out there and contend for the win like he did. As he mentioned in his post-race interview, what does it take to be good? It takes having fast race cars, and that is what Ganassi is providing. Steve? Well, yeah, Parker, and it also takes commitment. And I think there were times a few years ago where Kyle Larson had the opportunity to go drive at another race team, go drive at race teams that had winning equipment. But he committed to Chip Ganassi like Chip Ganassi committed to him. I think that it helps that Chip supports Kyle in his dirt racing endeavors. And, and Kyle's very vocal that he thinks the stars of NASCAR should be at the short track slugger running other race cars. But 
they're kind of doing it their own way. You know, Kyle committed to Chip, Chip committed to Kyle, and Chip Ganassi is really kind of giving light at the end of the tunnel for all of these small owners trying to go up against the big Penske's, Gibbs, Hendrick. They have found a way to beat them really consistently on the racetrack. It's not easy to do either, Stevie. No. It's definitely hard. But one thing about it is that Chip Ganassi Racing, they have just two teams. A lot of these guys, like Hendrick and Gibbs, they have four teams. They have alliances. Chip Ganassi Racing can focus on their cars. Yeah. If they find something in the wind tunnel, they can come back and apply it within days where most teams have four or five cars where it takes them longer to get those changes implemented, Stevie. So it's definitely, uh, they always say there's strength in numbers, but sometimes that's not true. And Furniture Oil Racing, they also have just two teams as well. So these guys can get after the changes that the engineers and uh, develop new, uh, and aero guys develop new changes, they can get after it quickly. Slugger, you bring up a good point, which is the amount of teams they have at Ganassi, only having two teams. And actually, you brought up Team Penske, Steve, and I thought that was interesting because I was kind of there at Team Penske when they slimmed down from three cars back to two cars. And the effort and the reason for doing that was to put more effort on the engineering side, to put more effort into being to implement changes and that sort of thing. And eventually they went on to win the championship in 2012 with Brad Keselowski. And what we're seeing out of Ganassi reminds me of that time. Brad committed to Roger. Roger committed to Brad. You're seeing the same out of Kyle Larson. He's committed to Chip. Chip is committed to him. And they're putting the right resources behind Kyle for him to go out there and have face race cars to win races. But, it, you know, they're not having to do it in numbers. They're doing it with a very big focus on just two excellent cars. Well, so far, Kyle Larson and his son have stolen the show. Here's what we have uh, coming up, though, for the rest of it. Uh, third straight Michigan race, Chase Elliott finished second. This time, no frustration, but we'll tell you why. More on Martin Truex Jr. stage domination. Could it lead straight to a championship celebration in Miami and a late debris caution altering Sunday's race and made Tony Stewart sound off, but was it justified? That's all ahead on NASCAR America. Welcome back, everybody. Joey Logano announcing some big news on Twitter after Sunday's race. He and wife Brittany are expecting their first child, and they even posted the date of the arrival, January 11th, 2018, for baby Logano. Logano wanted to announce the news in victory lane, but he finished the race in third. Afterwards, though, he was asked why he was happy despite not winning the race. <laughs> How rare is it? I'm happy. What am I miserable all the time? Jeez, Bob. <laughs> I think I'm typically a happy person. I just don't like getting beat. <laughs> so that's that's so all. Do, but do you feel like you didn't get beat today? You guys made the most of what you had. I, we definitely we made the most possible out of our car. Um, the only way we we're going to do better is uh, something crazy happened in front of me and and sneak by to to get the lead. That was the only way I was going to do it. Um, we we had a tenth place car. And we've finished third with it. I'm proud of that. Um, we had a rough month and a half. We stopped the bleeding today. Uh, I'm proud of that as well. So, um, you know, it's you're right. It's not a win. Um, but all things considered, over the last few months or month or so, it feels really nice just to stop the bleeding. Yeah, I'm really proud of our, our Napa team. We... Uh, Really struggled Friday and Saturday. Felt like we uh, overachieved today from what we uh, thought we were going to have kind of coming into the race. So um, those are the kind of things that you have to have, whether you have a really fast car or a mediocre car. Our pit stops were just incredible um, on pit road, which was, a, which was a huge help. I mean, I can't express how nice that was um, to come in and, and gain two or three spots. It was was unreal. So hope we can keep some of that moving forward. Um you know, give ourselves a chance at the end, and, and really at the end of the day, it's all you can ask for. So I uh, gave up in the spot to the 42 there on that green flag run before those uh, handful of cautions. And, you know, you hate you hate giving up those spots. I raced them as hard as I could to try to keep them behind me because I knew, you know, there's too many laps to go to run green to the end. And, and, you know, that spot could be the potential spot that keeps you in position. I tried to keep him behind me, and um, our car kind of fired off a little bit snug and, and just uh, had to wait a little a little while to get freed up and uh he took advantage of that and, and went on to win so happy for him had a fast car did a good job and executed his race well 
So, Parker, I feel like we've seen this press conference before, a third consecutive runner-up finish from Chase Elliott, but what's different this time around? There's a massive difference there. The other two were basically beating himself up, and, you know, you felt like he was going to take the mic and hit himself in the head a couple times, and there I saw so much positivity. He was very positive about the things that went well. Pit Road, that was a great thing, talking about how he was so thankful for his team, and I can tell you, as a driver, when you're gaining positions on Pit Road, that is like free money. I mean, it's the best thing that ever happened to you. It's like it's falling out of the sky. And then just that positivity, that positive mental attitude about how the race went when they didn't have the fastest car, right? That's the key there is that he puts – we always felt like in the last couple months he's put so much pressure on himself to be successful, to, to, to be absolutely perfect, but not always focusing on the things that were positive from the races. And what you saw there was things that he just felt like went well, things that he did well, things the team did well, trying to hold off Kyle Larson there. You know, hey, I did the best I could. That's what we wanted to hear from him, not, hey, I should have won this race and I screwed everything up and that's why we lost. No, he had a great restart here, one of his best restarts he's ever had at Michigan on the front row, considering he lost the two races last year in that fashion. He was doing the right things. He did everything right in the race car. The team did everything they, they could, and they got a second-place finish out of a car that probably didn't deserve to be in second place. And that's why I was happy to hear him be positive. He can use that going forward. That's going to get him victory lane. Yeah, Parker, I'm okay when Chase Elliott is negative in his press conferences and he holds himself to that level. I think he doesn't hold himself to any more accountability than what he expects out of his race car. And you hit on it. The simple fact is last year he finished second twice at Michigan with winning race cars. This year he finished second at Michigan with about a fifth-place race car, maybe even worse, maybe a seventh-place race car. So the pit crew helped. He did his job. And I think in the end, even though it is a team sport and it takes a driver, a car, Uh, a pit crew, pit strategy, so many things go into the finish. I think Chase Elliott is honest. He's willing to look in the mirror and evaluate his performance, not the team's, his, behind the wheel. And I think he was happy at Michigan because his performance behind the wheel was over and above the equipment he was sitting in. I don't think that has happened as often as he would have liked, and I think that's actually a good thing for Chase Elliott because that means Alan Gustafson and this 24 car are continuing to give him good equipment. But any day you take an average car and finish in the top five, got to see some positives, and he did in that press conference. But is there a point, Parker, where that can become a little bit too damaging, like you said, being so hard on yourself as a driver when you're in a group of young drivers and a couple of whom are getting these big first wins? Well, that's why I want to maybe disagree with Steve a little bit, is I, I get being harsh on yourself and, you know, be, having accountability. I understand that. But being too harsh on yourself, being too down mentally can then start to be detrimental to performance. Remember that a lot of this game is mental. And especially as you come late into races, you end up at restarts where everything needs to be instinctful. Everything needs to happen naturally. You can't have negative thoughts seeping in and allowing you to not make the right choices or overthink things. It's because those fractions of a second that you overthink because you've been so negative about that situation, that can be the difference between winning and losing. So I like the accountability, but but don't be too harsh. Try and keep that positive mental attitude. Well, that's where Parker and I disagree. I don't want to have a glass half full driver. I want a driver that wants to win, expects to win, demands winning race cars, demands winning performance. Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, these race car drivers that Chase Elliott is trying to be, they're very rarely happy unless they're in victory lane. Oh, excuse us. All right. Uh, Agree to disagree we'll, leave it there, there, sir. we'll leave it there. Coming up, a debris caution flew late in Sunday's race, which drew the ire of both the former champion and the sport's most popular driver. But was their criticism justified? We debate next. Welcome back. Time now for our social pit stop. Many Father's Day tributes from the NASCAR community, including Brad Kozlowski. He tweeted this picture of the family celebrating his father Bob's win at Michigan in the ARCA series back in 1992. Brad, just eight years old there on the left. Kyle Busch also honored his dad, Tom, who has two Cup Series champions for sons, Kyle and Kurt. Three generations in this picture with Tom pushing Kyle along and Kyle's own son, Brexton, along for the ride as well. And earlier we saw Kyle Larson enjoy his win Sunday with his son, but that wasn't the only thing he enjoyed after the race, tweeting that he celebrated his second win of the year with some Captain and Diet Cokes. Nice reward for a job well done. You got to go diet, right, Steve? Because you expect a lot from your drivers. You can't be having dad bod on the track. I mean, look, I think that the captain was enough damage. It didn't matter what he mixed with it, but it's good to see these drivers are enjoying their wins because you don't want to take them for granted. They are very hard to come by. He's young, but he's got to start to keep that figure. Yeah, he's got to he's got to watch his figure. All right. Well, uh, with 20 laps to go at Michigan, uh, race control calling for a debris caution. That's a decision that would alter the race. 
Two more crashes came after that yellow, eliminating multiple drivers from contention. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. chimed in on the subject after the race was over. The stage racing's okay. You know, some days it's good, and some days it doesn't quite work in your favor, but I'm all right with the stages, I guess. I just wish with the stages, I don't know why they got to throw so many damn debris yellows. I mean, the purpose of having stages was really because the networks want more cautions, more restarts, because people uh, tune in. When we have a caution, they tune in for the restart. So that's the whole reason why we have the stages is to try to create a little more drama. <clears throat> so I don't know why we keep throwing the damn debris yellows and stuff. But well, We didn't even get a yellow for that hat. Yeah, we had a damn cowboy hat on the front straightaway. I tried to knock it out of the way, but the damn thing was stuck to the track. It didn't even move. I know, I ran right by it. <laughs> All right, so Tony Stewart also giving his two cents on Twitter. It's a shame that so many drivers and teams' days were ruined by the results of another quote-unquote debris caution towards the end of the race today. NASCAR Scott Miller explained the decision on the debris caution earlier today on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. So we use all the resources that we have to try to to try to identify what it is that's that's out there. That being cameras, turn spotters, and and the communication that we've that we've got around the racetrack to different people that may be able to see it. And you know, if we if we actually are able to identify what it is and feel like it's something that is okay to leave out there, then 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 we'll do so. But if we can't identify what it is exactly and it, and it could pose um, something dangerous, then we'll usually or almost always err on the side of caution and safety and, and put the caution out in, in those circumstances. Sometimes it's untimely and, and a little bit unfortunate, but we do have to uh, – we do have to do our job and make sure that everybody's safe. All right, so a couple things here before we go all in. We've heard from a lot of the voices that were involved in this after the race. Number one, there is no proof right now that phantom cautions, as they're known as, are thrown. And safety, always a very valid explanation for why cautions would be thrown in a race. But Steve, was there even really any incentive for NASCAR to manufacture something with the way that this race was unfolding at the end? Well, Carolyn, the bigger question I have is, is Scott, what Scott just said right there. So if we take for face value what NASCAR says, which is they put safety first slugger and they're going to put a caution out when they don't know what it is on the racetrack. If we take that for face value, believe in what they tell us, then the issue I have is then the resources we use to figure out what that debris is. You know, the problem I have is race control not only decides if the caution comes out, Carolyn, but they also decide what it is on the racetrack. They provide their own information. It's their responsibility to put spotters, cameras, and whatever other technologies out there. And, per, you know, honestly, Slugger, I don't think that technology has changed enough over the last 15 years. I'm not the guy to say what it needs to be, but in the world of infrared cameras that teams are using to see the temperature of the racetrack and dart fish to look at qualifying laps, there's so much technology to try to examine the racing surface. It frustrates me that one guy can't tell what it is from 100 yards away, and that's enough reason to alter the entire outcome of a race. But it's an essence of safety, Steve. You just think if there was something there, they weren't sure if what it was, if it was rubber, if it was metal. Somebody runs over it, blows a tire 218 miles an hour in turn one at Michigan. We saw it with Jimmy Johnson, what Jamie Murray looked like at Pocono getting in turn one when they wrecked. So I get it. I, I've benefited from debris cautions, and I've paid the price on debris cautions as well. So it goes both ways. I think every crew chief and team will agree that it has worked both ways for them. But I do agree with you, untimely. I do like it when the networks do show the debris caution. Uh, they show the debris on the track so the race fans can see it to make sure it's not a, quote, phantom caution that, that you just talked about, Carolyn. But uh, that does help when they do show the debris on the track. And Slugger, that's a great point because that's the thing that I think, as Steve, you go into the technology side of, okay, what are we doing to determine what that debris is? But also when we determine that we, that we mean NASCAR, throws a caution for debris, then show us and be transparent about what that debris is. If it's after the race and we get a rundown with pictures, here's what we found, here's what we, the reason we called that debris caution, then fine, but be transparent about it. Don't, not, don't hide it, don't not talk about it, just put it under the you know, non-descriptor of debris. Let's see exactly what it was, and if it's not something that you should have thrown a debris caution for, then admit it, say, we were, we're sorry, we were wrong, and we're going to do a better job next time. But as you said, to alter races and the outcome of these races and how much these teams and 
are, how much effort and resources are going into running these races. Why is it coming down to a judgment call of a guy 100 yards away trying to tell what it is? Let's once again, let's find out a better system and also be transparent about what it is that is causing these cautions. Yeah, Parker, I mean, as you see right here, the debris cautions are significantly lower this year with the stage racing. But, you know, it goes back to the simple fact that as the format has changed, stages, the way the points are determined, the way the playoffs determine who the champion is, we're talking about an untimely caution at Michigan in the summer. What happens when we get into the playoffs in the fall? I think that NASCAR, the sanctioned body, the racetracks have a responsibility to create a playing field and create a set of rules that they can enforce. The debris needs to be proven. The restarts, in the same interview, Scott Miller said, well, we just don't have this technology, this GPS, and all of these different things to, to try to verify a restart. There are just too many loopholes. If we're going to have a rule book that's hundreds of pages thick, then we have to have the technology to enforce that rule book. We've seen it with the laser platform with the chassis. While the crew chiefs don't like it, I feel it's at least consistent or inconsistent for everybody. <laughs> we're just looking for that. You're either out of bounds or you're on. The judgment calls, why they are very difficult, we, as a sport, as a sanctioned body, NASCAR needs to try to eliminate judgment calls. I agree. NASCAR does need to step up. But, again, I still have my stance on safety. I hate for anyone to get hurt. We can re replace these race cars every day, but you can't replace drivers. But going back to Tony Stewart's tweet, as a car owner, he understands that, hey, these, this costs Clint Boyer. Right. He got in a wreck, and he is now outside looking in. He is 17th virtually in the points with everyone that's won races. So I understand his frustration. He just wants a clear-cut answer from NASCAR, and hopefully soon they will get that to us. Slugger, you bring up a good point about safety as well. And it's not only the competitors. Remember that on NASCAR tracks, a lot of times these grandstands are very close to the racing surface. And if there was something on the track that cannot maybe hurt the competitors or the cars, but if it's hit by a car and put into the stands, that's a problem. In the modern day age of liability and such, you can't have that, pop, that possibility. And so I err on the side of NASCAR's defense there and saying, yes, I understand the reason for the precautions, but I once again just want transparency. What is causing them? Well, Slugger brought up a great point about TV. TV certainly doesn't decide when these cautions are thrown. That's not their job, but they do maybe have a responsibility to try to show fans at home why a caution is being thrown. Where is it? I think that's part of the frustration that Slugger was alluding to, is that fans just want to know what's going on. But Steve, why is it seemingly so difficult to find this kind of transparency that all three of you are seemingly looking for well i've asked steve o'donnell point blank there's been a, there were a couple cautions in the last two years since i've been in the booth and i've asked well where was this debris and he was kind enough to show me the proof of the footage of what they saw but by the time the time the cars came around it was either hit moved we couldn't find it with the rate with the cameras so you know the networks do feel this obligation to try to cover the race in full form for the fans and that is showing the cause of the caution so I mean, it, there's a lot of detail that goes into it. I understand the sticky point that are in it. It's just a simple fact that as the stakes go up, the pressure to get it right goes up. And I think the race teams are feeling it. And in situations like this, so does NASCAR. Well, it's hard for NASCAR to keep everybody happy. You know, the fans want one thing. Crew chiefs want another. Drivers want one thing. Owners want another thing. So they do their best to keep everybody happy. And I'm sure NASCAR has taken a lot of heat for this this week. Yeah. They will take everyone's input, and they will try to make this better moving forward. Yeah. And I just want to go from the driver's point of view. You know, why, why does a driver get so upset about this? Well, it's the uncertainty, unpredictability of debris cautions. And just think about a driver that's maybe having a race where their car is very good on the long run. They've set that car up for the long run. And as they get late in the race, the thing that takes them away from being able to get to the top five or in the top ten is a debris caution, that they don't even see the debris. That is a frustrating situation. That's why you get a reaction like uh, you saw from Dale Earnhardt Jr., because you want to be able to control your own destiny. You want to be able to say that your performance was the reason you got there and not something like a caution that they can't find the debris for. So this all-encompassing, that's why you get the frustration of these drivers. And in Tony Stewart's case as a team owner, it bunches the cars up, which can cause wrecks, and that costs the team owner money. Yeah, three of his drivers, Slugger, directly impacted by this, which probably affected his decision to tweet as well. <laughs> well, Parker, you take for the driver's side, and, and I'm here with Steve, who we're former crew chiefs. You know, it's hard on these crew chiefs when these yellows come out. Do you pit, not pit, two tires, four tires? I mean, it changes your game and mentality of how you call a race, so it is hard on everybody, but these crew chiefs, they kind of run us out of the garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly not easy. It's highly subjective, but it's an interesting discussion nonetheless. Uh, still ahead, we are going to dive further into how Kyle Larson's late race restarts helped him claim the checkered flag on Sunday. And we'll also check in on the truck series where John Hunter Nemechek scored an emotional win over Father's Day weekend.
Plus, our next stop on My Home Track's tour of all 50 states is Vermont, and we will be joined by one of its native sons, NASCAR broadcasting legend Ken Squire, next. Welcome back, everybody. We head to Michigan International Speedway once more for the Xfinity Series. A beautiful day there. Multiple Cup Series stars in the field. And right off the bat, two of them mixing it up at the start. Can you guess who? Brad Kozlowski in the 22 and Kyle Busch in the 18 making contact. Busch goes spinning into turn one. Slides all the way down the track. That was lap one, but the last lap came down to the closest finish in Xfinity Series history. Here's MRN. The green lights are on, the green flag is in the air, and William Byron by about a quarter of a car like just a fender up front. On the outside, Byron takes the lead as they race off to the back straightaway. White flag is in the air, rookie driver William Byron leading the field to turn one. This is not over yet, Denny Hamlin closes in quickly. Here comes Hamlin, they're side by side to the back straightaway. Denny Hamlin down to the inside, way to the grass. Denny Hamlin by a half a car length wins the Irish Hills 250 NASCAR Xfinity Series race here at Michigan. <laughs> so it actually came down to 12 one thousandths of a second. So that's the closest Xfinity Series finish ever at Michigan, I should say. But William Byron, so close. He was getting congratulated afterwards. Anything he could have done differently? Nothing. He could have done nothing differently. He did everything perfectly, and it just happened to be where the start-finish line is placed that didn't allow him to win that race compared to Denny Hamlin as they side-drafted each other down the front straightaway. But you see Elliot Sadler coming up here, his teammate, Brad Keselowski. They all respected what he was able to accomplish that day. Remember, he was so successful in the truck series last year. But for many, the question was, when will William Byron get used to the Xfinity Series? Will he rise to the occasion of the competition level, of the different cars, the lower downforce, all those things, and this weekend we saw what we've seen out of William Byron in the truck series. That is a guy that's going to go win races that can contend up the front and can battle against a guy as experienced as Denny Hamlin toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and barring just a little bit of different side drafting, he would have been in victory lane. A very impressive day by William Byron. Yeah, it's just wild to think about the fact that he's 19. I, Threw up as incredible. Jimmy Johnson's neighbor looking up to him, and now he's proving that he can be on that stage as well. Truck series also in action uh, this weekend at Gateway. Let's see how those unfolded. John Hunter Nemechek was the story of the day. So he's in the eight car, and he passes Matt Crafton, who's in the 88, and he would go on to win at Gateway Motorsports Park. Uh, the perfect Father's Day gift for his dad and team owner, Joe Nemechek, who was sidelined early, but he was still able to celebrate with his son where it mattered most in victory lane. And after the race and his first win of the year, an emotional interview from Nemechek. Take a listen. It's definitely an emotional win. Uh, all the hard work that goes in, um, everyone works their tails off, and we haven't had the best of luck this year. Um, and getting in victory lane when we needed to, God is great. I can't thank him enough. Being faithful, uh, I knew all the hard work would pay off. So this is awesome uh, Father's Day present for Dad here and team owner. I was hoping that there wasn't going to be a caution. Those guys didn't take tires in front of me, and we took two that last strategy. So Todd Bodine, our strategy worked off. Jerry Kennan was awesome. So got to thank Dad, Jerry Kennan, uh, Austin C, Ronnie, um, Courtney, PR girl. I got to thank everyone, uh, my mom, my whole family, my sisters for all the support. So, Slugger, you know the Nemechek family quite well. You're a part of the Nemechek family. I'll ask you to explain your relation in a minute. But the closest link that I have to the truck series is our fellow analyst, Parker. And I'm always amazed. This is difficult. It takes a lot of work. You know that more than anyone. What does it mean when those moments all come together, especially for this family? You could just see it in that interview after he won. Yes, yeah, certainly. The family has given their life to John. The family, the Nemechek family, their lives changed back in 1997 when Joe's brother John died in a, in a truck crash at Homestead Speedway. Three months later, John Hunter Nemechek was born, and the family just got behind this kid. You know, the, they have run on shoestring budget for the last five years. Uh, they have very little sponsorship, but they've done a lot. They've won at Atlanta. They've won at Canada. They have won the, uh, Saturday night in St. Louis. So this family has done a lot with very, very little. Jerry Kenning has been... John Scrucci for a very long time, he's struggled through health issues, but no one has ever quit on this kid. And hopefully one day he'll get more sponsorship. Right now, I believe he has four or five races sold of the remaining 14 or 15 truck races, 
and he's in the chase. He's locked in. So hopefully someone will get on this kid's shoulders and give him some funding so he can showcase his talents uh, with better funding and better trucks, better equipment. And, and just the family, to me, has never quit on this kid and give him everything that he deserves. And you would know, because like I mentioned, you married into the family. Is that right? That's right. My wife's dad and Joe Nemechek's dad are brothers. So I've been around since 1990 with this family, and I've seen a lot uh, from Joe Sr., Martha, Joey, Marty Crenshaw. I mean, everybody has just given so much to the racing side of NASCAR. Uh, they've been a staple. You know, we always see Aunt Martha taking pictures at the racetrack. And, and if you go to their shop, every car that they've ever won with is at their shop and is thousands and thousands of pictures that brings back memories so this is a true racing family that loves to race and they will support john hunter till he gets the ride that he deserves one day we know what putting the sticker on that truck means and it certainly means a lot to that family thanks for your insight there uh we're going to move on in the show today uh the my home track tour of all 50 states coming to vermont that is squire country if you didn't know we're going to be joined by the great broadcasting icon ken squire as he shares tales from thunder road you will not want to miss it we'll be right back We begin our final week of My Home Track 50 States and 50 Shows with a stop in New England and the state of Vermont. Vermont is the home state of Bernie Sanders, Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, and the iconic jam band Fish. It is also the home of today's featured track, and that is Thunder Road International Speed Bowl. The road, as it's known, is a quarter-mile bullring located about nine miles southeast of the state capital of Montpelier. And since 1962, the track's signature race has been the Milk Bowl, where winners have the honor of kissing a Vermont cow right on the lips in victory lane. Past winners include two-time Xfinity Series champ Randy LaJoy. And another past Milk Bowl winner is Phil Scott, who also happens to be the current governor of Vermont. Scott was a three-time late model champ at Thunder Road. He holds the track record with 29 victories. For parts of six decades, Thunder Road was owned and operated by the late Tom Curley and his longtime partner, who is also today's guest. That is 2018 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee Ken Squire. And he joins us now. Ken, first off, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. A lot of NASCAR fans know your broadcasting credentials. Some may not know the history of your involvement with this track. How did everything begin? Well, it was that wonderful period of time after World War II when uh, they sprouted up all over the country. And at one time there were 23 racetracks. Well, sometimes they were just dirt ovals with a little chicken wire, but there were 23 tracks in Vermont. And uh, that was the story of, of how stock car racing really got underway. Yeah, you had Soldier Field in Chicago and Lorenzen and uh, Giant Stadium, things like that. But it was really always the, the folks uh, back in the country that really brought stock car racing forward. Whose idea was it to kiss the cow at the Milk Bowl Invitational? Uh, that is not a cow. It's... That is a genuine Vermont beauty. <laughs> Okay, excuse me, excuse me. That's what we uh, promoted and advertised, that uh, we were going to do our very best. Uh, we, we were sick and tired of all the nonsense about uh, these, these bimbos that would be in Victory Lane, <laughs> that we'd have a genuine Vermont beauty. Uh, so sometimes it was a Jersey, and, and sometimes it was a Guernsey. Once we went really fancy and had a belt at Galloway, but, but it was always a cow and, and remains that to this day. <laughs> what makes this track so special to you? Well, things like that and, and the sense that it, it tries its very hardest to represent Vermont, which is a pretty neat place. <laughs> and the future of the track, from what I understand, is in very good hands. Is that right? Yeah, a, a, a former track champion fellow named Malone as well have uh, gotten together and uh, what was interesting was that uh, they, they both had grown up at Thunder Road and they both, uh, although had other opportunities, uh, they, they weren't going to enterprise on it and, and put in some kind of development. They want to see the track continue. It started in 1960 and it's rolled right along and this year it's uh, sporting a brand new uh, coating of asphalt and getting great fields of cars 
and great competition. That's wonderful. You know, uh, before we let you go, we did mention uh, your Hall of Fame induction. What is the most meaningful part of that for you, or who was the most meaningful person to congratulate you on that great honor? Oh, oh that's now, now you've done it. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't know where to begin uh, because uh, it's a representative, I think, of so many people, and, and particularly the short tracks, uh, which I always favor. But perhaps Ned Jarrett, um, who always said it best uh, about what the Hall of Fame meant and that one would hope that one could be responsible to uh, what that meant uh, in this great sport. Ken, thank you for the lesson on uh, the beauties of Vermont and for sharing some time uh, to tell us about a track that's so special to you. And again, congratulations. Well, come up and see us. Yeah, absolutely. We will, Ken. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> Thursday night, absolutely, all summer long. All right, we'll meet you there. Thanks. Uh, speaking of the Hall of Fame, we have a special announcement as well that we want to tell you about. Starting July 5th, every Wednesday, NASCAR America is going to be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Each show is going to have one of our drivers, along with a current cup or Xfinity driver, showcasing their journey to NASCAR. So keep an eye out. We're really excited about that. That starts on July 5th. Meantime, coming up, restart woes earlier in the season hurting Kyle Larson. But what did he learn then that proved valuable in the final laps on Sunday? More on Larson's winning restarts when NASCAR America returns. gas man on the 42 cars three chevy obviously being in victory lane is what we work for all week so uh, great effort today from the crew guys crew chief making the calls at the right time kyle giving everything he's got out there it all worked out you know we do this every week and a lot of times it doesn't end up like this so when it does it's, it's pretty sweet Great day all around for Mike Metcalf and the 42 crew from Chip Ganassi Racing. They got the job done on pit road, and they helped Kyle Larson pick up the win. Afterwards, Larson reflected on the lessons that he learned from this year's race at Dover and how he applied them this weekend. Well, restarting here at Michigan is so different than restarting at Dover, but uh, I definitely watched the, the replay, and we looked at Jimmy's driver data versus mine um, from the final restart at Dover, and um learned a little bit from that stuff i honestly i knew what i did wrong um as soon as we took the green at dover savvy move from a young driver and the homework seemingly paying off parker has more from the touchscreen now on larson's restarts parker that is right Cun. it did pay off but it was a great example of what goes into a restart so we have the restart from dover and i want you to pay attention you see the cars all the way back there the restart zone is actually here but the games start back here. You can see how Jimmy and Kyle are kind of playing with each other. Jimmy's holding back, and Kyle doesn't want that to happen. But as they get to the restart zone, Jimmy is just going to force him a little bit. As you see there, they're side by side. He's going to force him to go a little bit, and that's going to make Kyle want to catch up. He's going to get in the throttle. He's going to spin his tires trying to catch up, and Jimmy is going to get the lead and pull away. And, Steve, this is where I want to bring you in because after that happens – Kyle was very vocal about he thought he could have done things better. You heard it there. What are you telling your driver after you see that happen where he so visibly makes the mistake? What are you doing on Monday to make sure he doesn't make that same mistake twice? Well, I think any situation, the most important thing is to gather as much data as you can, whether that's the video, the replays, the in-car camera. You heard Kyle mention that they obviously struck a deal with Jimmy to get his driver data from the Hendrick engines and the electronic fuel injection. You can see throttle position, RPM, all of those simple things. You know, what makes restarts so difficult, Slugger, you and I have had this conversation, and we've continued to try to work on it with our drivers, is they can't be simulated. You can't go to a test and do it because accelerating through the gears isn't hard. It's accelerating through the gears next to another car who's playing games with you that makes it more difficult. Definitely. There's no restart that's the same. It never, ever happens, and these drivers continuously work on it. You know, like you said, Steve, we go to tests. We work on transmission ratios. Uh, we try to get through the gears and, and work on air pressures to get through the corner. The first corner is everything, but it is always tough for sure. And uh, a lot of it, Stevie, what helps a good restart is what happens when the yellow comes out. You see drivers shutting the cars off. And what right. that does is manage the water temps. 
these cars, as the temperature gets hotter, the engine goes into a protection mode and it's less horsepower because it takes takes timing away. Uh-huh. It puts uh, fuel in the engine and it takes away horsepower. So if you don't manage your, your temperatures when the yellow comes out, you're going to pay the price when they throw the green flag. That's what you do, Parker. You study on That's- Monday and try to learn for the next restart. That sounds simple, right? All those just those things right there. Well, add in, it's not always even what you just do because a great example with 15 laps ago when Kyle Larson was starting second at Michigan, he found himself up against one of the best in business, Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch gets the jump, but watch that 21 car. He's going to get into him. He's going to give him a bump. And right there, right now, Kyle Larson is now side-drafting that 18 car. And what he does at this point where he tries to force that 18 up and give himself the angle he needs to get into the corner is also important. So it's, one, the bump from the 21. That helped. The side-draft. And now he's holding the 18 car up there, and that's going to give him the angle into one as he goes in and able to make a pass. He almost slide jobs in here like a dirt car. We know he's great on dirt, and is able to get the lead, and it's that there that did that got him the lead. Those things combined, because it's so many things that go into a restart. And Slugger, I want to ask you about this. Earlier this year, you said that you were working with Austin Dillon to try and get better on restarts. You mentioned, you know, cooling the engine off. But it's not always just even what you're doing. It's sometimes having a guy like the 21 pushing you and being able to react to what the 21 is doing behind you. And that's why you can't practice that stuff at a test because you can't replicate that. All you simply can do is just show your driver footage of past races at the particular track. And this might happen. Be prepared for it. But, again, every case is is not the same. It's always different. You can go to the simulator and try it. It doesn't work. You can go to a test and try it. It doesn't work. It's not as easy as what it thinks. And I think every driver will tell you the hardest thing they do on Sundays is restarts. Yeah, and Parker, I would add the one person who we haven't brought into the conversation yet, and that was vitally important at restart, is the spotter. So Kyle Larson knows what the car behind him is doing, the car on the outside of him is doing. The driver has to do the right thing, Parker, but he has to have all that information. That is correct. And so a great example of when you've put all those things together and you find yourself as the leader, that is Kyle Larson as he comes down the end of this race. He's going up against Denny Hammond, but... Watch that 22 car behind him. He's going to come up, and that's when Larson goes. Those two connect. He gets the bump he needs. The 11 starts to get a run, but he's going to see the 11 start to get a run here, and he's going to do something that he did before to Kyle. He's going to move down right here. They get very close together. He moves down the track. He squeezes that 11, gets that side draft, and he's able to use that to propel himself with a little bit of forward momentum, take away the side force from that 11, and able to make the pass and keep the lead. That's when you combine all those things he learned from the re- the games at Dover to using the cars behind him as he did to beat Kyle Busch there of Ryan Blaney, and then he came down here with Jill Agano on the back of him, got the, the push he needed, squeezed the 11, got the lead, and that's how he won the race. And, Carolyn, it's all those things that go into a restart that you have to execute that makes it so incredibly tough at times to do it well. I think you found your happy place here, Parker, at the, the touchscreen. Touch I yeah, love this you thing. love the touchscreen. I like this crew chief driver thing we have going on on today's show. It's good. All right, coming up next, uh, we're going to hit up the social scene once more to see the parenting advice that Delana Harvick is giving Joey Logano and also some news from the 43. That's when we come back. Welcome back, everybody. This day in NASCAR takes us back to 1949. The inaugural race in what would become the NASCAR Cup Series was held at Charlotte Speedway. Jim Roper was declared the winner after Glenn Dunaway's car was found to have altered rear springs. Dunaway, who was the only driver to complete the race's 200 laps, was disqualified. Flashback to 2010 here. This is Pocono Raceway. Two laps to go in regulation. Kevin Harvick made contact with Joey Logano while battling for a top-five finish. Logano went spinning, and after the race, Logano confronted Harvick on pit road. Their crews were right in the middle of it. You may recall, when he later met with reporters, Logano delivered this famous zinger. Joey, what's your thoughts on what took place out there with Kevin Harvick? Uh, it's disappointing, to be honest with you. It's, uh, yeah, we had a top-five run going with the Home Depot Toyota, and that's, uh, for us here, that was going to be awesome, and I was pretty pumped up about it. And uh, race in 29, and um, he let me go in the middle of the straightaway and uh, decided to dump me in the next turn. I don't know what his deal is with me, but uh, it's probably not his fault. You know, was, his wife wears a fire suit in the family, tells him what to do, so it's probably not his fault. <laughs> 
of shade. Back in the present, Joey Logano announcing Sunday that he and wife Brittany are expecting their first child next January. That drew lots of congratulations from the NASCAR community, including Delana Harvick, Kevin Harvick's wife, with some wise words. She tells Joey, now you really see who wears the fire suit in the family. Uh, Delana not done there, though. During the race, this is what she tweeted. Uh, WTH, what the hell was the 19 doing in the number 21? And the four didn't just run into you. The driver of the 21 car, Ryan Blaney, then responded to her by saying, I didn't know we are all sandwiched together at the time. My apologies. Also, Richard Petty Motorsports has brought in a road course ringer for the 43 car at Sonoma. Billy Johnson going to make his Cup Series debut after running last weekend in the 24 hours of Le Mans. Darrell Wallace Jr. will return to the 43 car at Daytona, both, of course, subbing right now for the injured Eric Almarola. And a tweet just a short time ago from Billy Johnson saying, I'm so excited to make my NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series debut this weekend at Sonoma. Honored to be driving the 43. So that's nice there. And a reminder, starting July 5th, every Wednesday, NASCAR America going to be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Each show is going to have one of our drivers along with a current Cup or Xfinity drivers, and they're going to get to tell us about their journey to NASCAR. Steve, I've been looking for something like this in the show for a long time. How excited are you about what we're going to do uh, starting on July 5th? Oh, I'm very excited, Carolyn. I love to come on here and give my opinion about these competitors and what they try to do on Sunday. But what better than have one of our drivers, Jeff Burton, or perhaps even Hall of Fame member Dale Jarrett, sit down with these current competitors, let them explain how they got to NASCAR, how they raced on Sunday, how their career is going. There's nothing better than hearing out of the driver's mouth themselves. And who better to sit across from them than someone that has sat behind the wheel before? On a more serious note, who wears the fire suit in your family? Well, seeing how my son is the only race car driver of the family, my <laughs> wife is without a doubt the owner of that car. I am purely um, quasi-crew slash sponsor, I think, of the Latart Racing Automobile. So you rank pretty low on the uh, family list. Are you, are you refilling the gas tank? Are you, what, what are your primary responsibilities when it comes to the pecking order? <laughs> I do whatever my wife and 13-year-old son tell me mm. to do at the racetrack. Yes, good answer, good answer. All right, coming up next, Martin Truex has been racking up stage wins at the playoff points that come with them. Can he point his way straight to the championship? That discussion coming your way next. Just 12 days away from our NBC Sports coverage of the NASCAR Cup Series. Today's countdown to Daytona moment taking us back to 1999 in the first ever live primetime race on network television. Dale Jarrett, our very own, would go to victory lane after starting from the 12th spot. He would claim the Cup Series title later that year. DJ ended the 99 season on top of the standings yesterday. Kyle Larson jumped ahead of Martin Truex Jr. to take the overall lead in points. And following the race, Larson talked about his ongoing battle with Truex and the importance of regular season points this year. You know, I, I pay attention to kind of how far back I am of Martin or how far ahead of I, I am of him. We had a rough uh, Coke 600 there and lost a lot of points. But um, we've been able to gain some back and, and take over the point lead. So uh, that's a big goal of mine, to be the point leader at the end of the regular season. Martin's been so, so fast all year long. He's dominating, uh, it seems like, every race. And um, he's, got, he's already racked up a lot of bonus points. So I need to do all I can to, to get some back on him and uh, help, our, help our playoffs out. Um, you, know, you see me racing hard at the end of those stages, and that's because – Every point is going to matter for us, too, uh, when it comes down to Richmond or whatever race it is. All right, so take a look at this. Martin Truex Jr. leading all drivers, 20 playoff points. That's on the strength of two race wins and a series-high 10 stage wins. Kyle Larson third, 13 playoff points. But if he finishes as the regular season champion, of course, remember, he's going to receive those additional 15 playoff points. It seems like Kyle Larson is acutely aware of how important this is, Parker. Have we not been paying enough attention to what Martin Truex Jr. has been able to do and the potential that he has to coast, I dare say? in the playoffs by this point. This has rewarded regular season consistency. Well, and I don't think it's just us. I think it's a product of this new format. We're just experiencing it for the first time. And I think a lot of, or many in the series overall are starting to witness what's happening in this 78 car and starting to add up the math and starting to think, 
wait a second, he's going to have a major advantage as we go into that round of 16 in the playoffs that, remember, these playoff points also carry through each round until you obviously get to homestead where points don't matter. So if he goes in there, just say it started now with 30 points if he finished second or if he was able to win with 35 that's a huge advantage over someone like Matt Kenseth, who right now has only one playoff point and is also going to get in to the point, would get into the, uh, the playoffs in points and outside the top 10, so he won't get any regular season bonus. Therefore, he would be 29 points behind Martin Truex Jr. in the first race. It's absolutely massive when you think about what the implications are of where of what this 78 has done so far with these stages and what will continue to happen as he racks up these stage points and playoff points will add up so much so in the playoffs. He could effectively, at, at some point, if he got up close near 50, 60 points, be able to have a DNF at a race and have no problem with that. And that's what's been so incredible about these playoffs. Yeah, of course, Steve, I say coast in the playoffs. It's not like anybody is going to coast in the playoffs. But still, how do you view the advantage that he could potentially have coming in uh, when the regular season's over? Well, Carolyn, they're not going to coast in the playoffs. But in the last couple of years, they would have been able to coast all summer. Because once you win a couple of races, Slugger, you're in. You're in the playoffs. You don't have to worry about it. And why there were you know, a small points award for winning races in only the first round, any team that wins multiple races felt like they could get through the first round anyway. So the advantage wasn't really there. I think the big key is that this advantage, these points we're showing you on screen right here, will, will go to your total every round except for Miami. So all three rounds. You think about when you get in that second round, you have Talladega. The third round, we always see crazy things happen at Phoenix. So Martin Truex Jr. is making a big, big leap ahead of his competitors. While he doesn't have a big advantage on Jimmy or Kyle, I think there's a whole bunch of drivers slugger that we didn't even put on the screen that have zero playoff points. So he'll have a huge advantage, although those drivers will have a tall order in the first round to try to unseed a Martin Truex Jr. That would definitely be hard to overcome. But one thing I'm impressed with is how crew chief Cole Pernett attacks the weekend. The last three weeks they have qualified second, Stevie, and every week they start off in qualifying trim. First things first, we have to qualify well on Friday, mm -hmm. get the best uh, starting spot, best pit selection. So they set their destiny on Friday. They, Friday, they come prepared to qualify, and that sets the tone for the weekend and, and the race. Yeah, because the first stage is so short, Carolyn, that you, you're not going to have a chance of winning the first stage qualifying outside the top ten. You need to be up there on the front or the second row. The 78 consistently does that. And what I like is this is a good mix. In years past – you arguably could win a championship by running great in the final 10 races. What this is is a little bit of a mix. Now, year-long consistent performance will be rewarded when the big trophy's paid at the end of the year, and I think that's what everyone in the sport wanted to see. And one thing to lead these teams to this, the championship you're talking about is this Homestead Test in October. That's going to be very, very important for all these teams. And last year, the 78 team chose not to attend. Right. This year, I bet you they do. Right. Slugger brings up such a great point about the preparation of Martin Truex Jr.'s team because that was something, Parker, that we said before any of this began at the beginning of the year. Okay, the impetus is now is on regular season consistency, and that starts way before Sunday. Well, and we've seen this out of the 78 car. Think back last season. How many races did they seemingly dominate and then got nothing or no reward whatsoever because they had something happen and they didn't get the finish they deserved? He has been the prototypical model of what this system was going to reward, which is being very good at middle and beginning portions of these races and therefore getting rewarded for that speed, being rewarded for being fast week in and week out. But one thing to remember, just because he walks in there maybe with a big playoff point total that gives him an advantage in that first race, in that first round, the playoff points still get rewarded in that round as well. So the other teams can catch up to him with great performance. He still needs to push, even if he's able to get a win early on in that first round. He's going to want to rack up more of those playoff points because the other teams are as well. So this system is showing that it's forcing you to never be able to settle. You cannot take even a portion of a race and think that you are safe at that time. You need to constantly push, as Slugger said, from Friday on forward because every portion of that race is they cut off those stages, means so much towards being able to run for a championship. Well, Parker, that's why I selfishly can't wait for Daytona in two weeks. Because normally we go to Daytona, 10 races to the playoff field is set, and we're totally talking about who is going to make the playoffs. Now the storyline is who is going to make the playoffs, and the teams that are in the playoffs, who is best positioning themselves 
for a run through the playoffs. I think that's going to make this summer more exciting than any summer we've seen in NASCAR. It's not that far away. It's coming up before we know it. Steve, get okay. ready. We're about Can't to take wait. over the coverage. Yeah, we're excited. There's so much on the line. Uh, when we come back, yet another potential win escaping Kyle Busch on Sunday. What has really stood out the most in his season of more than one near misses? More on that next. Welcome back. Okay, so tomorrow on NASCAR America, check out the sights and sounds of Sunday's race. We've got Scanall, Michigan. That's a fan favorite. We're also going to hear from Joey Logano, whose third-place run at Michigan was not the biggest story from his weekend. Baby on the way. And four-time Olympic medalist Otto Bolden joining us as he prepares to join the NASCAR and NBC team. We're going to see how things are going for him. Check in with Otto as well. Uh, if there is one driver this season who is due for a win... Safe to say, it's this gentleman right behind us, Kyle Busch. He has been passed for the final lead change five times this year. That's the most of any driver. Slugger, we'll start with you on this topic. When you analyze what's happened uh, with him this season and some of these really close calls, what has stood out most? Well, Carolyn, he has four stage wins this year, and he's fought a lot of adversity, and the team has as well. It goes back to Phoenix when there was a late race caution. Ryan Newman stayed out. Kyle got two tires. Ryan won the race. You go back to Martinsville, Brad Keselowski, late race restart, he wins the race. So he has been there a lot. Go back to Talladega, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., late race caution, Ricky leads one lap, wins the race. We've noted many, many times the struggles at Charlotte, uh, Dover, Pocono with some of the decisions, tires falling off, Austin Dillon winning on fuel mileage. So the team has been there. They have done a lot. They just haven't put the whole race together. And some of it has been, been because of the late race caution. So... This team will be where they need to be shortly, and, and probably we'll be talking, Stevie, about Kyle Busch more so than Ryan Truex and, um, I'm sorry, Martin Truex and Kyle Larson. Yeah, I mean, I really think this is the point where the leadership of this AT team is going to be tested. It's not a speed issue. Um, some has been bad luck. Some has been bad decisions when it comes to pit strategy. I, I don't put that on luck. I think you have the opportunity to, to pit your car or not pit your car. They could have done some things different. But I think the leadership at the 18 car has to remember and remind these guys, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be disappointed that we haven't won a race yet. But let's hang our hat on the fact that we have led a ton of laps, that we've been in position to win a race. Because, you know, when you get down into that fog, down in that despair of not being able to go to victory lane, it can seem endless. But they have so many highlights that they really need to start focusing on, and probably more than anyone, their driver, because he can be very emotional and they need to make sure he's pumped up to get in the race car. Because, Parker, when Kyle Busch is fired up to get into a race car and is aggressive, playing offense on his restarts, arguably he's the best in the field. He just needs to continue doing what he does, and they will break through. That is exactly right, because he is best in that position, and you guys mentioned it. It's not been a speed issue as of late. We saw the beginning of the season – there was a speed issue with these Joe Gibbs racing cars. But for the 18 car, they have rectified that. It is simply circumstance that have kept them out of victory lane. I, I know they will win before the regular season. Steve, over. just quickly, when you say leadership, you identify that as driver, crew chief, team ownership. Yeah, I think it's anyone who has a voice within that team. The driver, the crew chief, the owner, maybe the pit coach, maybe just a vocal team member. Anyone that can lead the group and keep morale high, now's the time. Speak up and be a leader. All right, it may not be that far away. It could be the very next race that we have. Could be Sonoma. Could. Yeah, absolutely. Never All right, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget, tomorrow we have Scan All Michigan. Until then, you can always check out NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We are back tomorrow, 530 Eastern, a packed show. Lots of good stuff, so we'll see you then. In the meantime, take care. We'll see you tomorrow. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.